Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, as our brother mentioned, my name is Peter Daly, and I live in the state of Montana. I'm a full-time worker with the assemblies there. But uh, he also mentioned Angola in Africa, so I, I'll just explain a little bit uh, to, to make it clear. Back in the 80s, my wife and I were commended by three assemblies to be missionaries in Angola. We went to Portugal, learned the Portuguese language, because that's the official language of Angola. And then we, we went there and worked on the Chokwe language, the tribe that, uh, we, that we lived amongst. But unfortunately, uh, there was a civil war that had started in 1975, a very devastating war. Over a million people were eventually killed in Angola. They said there were more landmines than there were people. And uh, in the 80s, it came into our area, and uh, we had to leave. We actually had to flee. My wife was pregnant with our second child, seven months pregnant, and I think you ladies can understand that, uh, what that's sort of like, and the rebels trying to take us hostage. So we, we left. We had to run, came back to the United States, and started working with our uh, assembly in Montana. But peace came in uh, 2002, and so now uh, my wife and I go back two times a year, more often just myself, and uh, usually August, September, and uh, January, February. And so we're able to continue our work there. Part of it is in a Bible school, an indigenous Bible school in the province of Mashiku, and then another part is in another province in Lunda North. I'm not exaggerating when I say this, but there are over 2,000 assemblies, brethren assemblies in Angola. So it's, a, it's, it's very encouraging uh, to see that, these indigenous churches with elder rule, plurality of, of leadership, following biblical principles. Now in Montana, let me tell you a little bit about that. It's a wonderful state to live in. I uh, was talking with our brother Rod. I mentioned my wife paid 289 for gas yesterday in Montana. So I, I think you're over $4 from what Rod was saying. Is that right? <laughs> we don't have a sales tax. Um, so don't all come out right away. <laughs> but it is nice. I also, I, um, I'll tell you a little bit more about it perhaps later on, but it, there, there's, um, if you're a hunter or a fisherman, you, you'd like it there. Uh, but this morning I, I want to share from the Word of God and I, I feel led to talk about discipleship and what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 9? Luke chapter 9. On the way here, I was uh, in the flight from Missoula, Montana to Seattle. I was sitting beside a lady, and uh, I was actually trying to study for the message today. Uh, and, you know, you, it, it's pretty easy to talk to people when they sit beside you because you're stuck together. So we, we talked, and she was from Portland, Oregon. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, and I told her where I was from. We talked for a while, and then after about 15 or 20 minutes, I well, I need to study. And I thought, well, I should ask this lady, you know, where she's at spiritually. So I said, um, her name was Deborah. I said, Deborah, do you have any spiritual leanings or what, what, where are you at spiritually? And she said, well, 
just like that. Well, and I'm there, okay, you know, what's going on here? Well, it turned out she was Roman Catholic, raised Roman Catholic, and uh, she said some horrific things happened to her as a child in the church. I didn't go into that. And then she said, I left that and became a Jehovah's Witness. And I became a missionary for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Went to New York. I think she was involved in their school of Gideon. But she started doing many hours a month for uh, missionary work, aside from the regular 10 hours that they have to do uh, field service for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then she said a Baptist lady showed her a passage uh, in, in the Bible. And uh, she was convicted by that. She went to her elders in the Kingdom Hall, and they got upset with her, and eventually they put her out of fellowship. And then her husband was put out of fellowship. And then she started going to what she claimed was a Baptist church, and they wanted her to become a member uh, to be baptized. So she left that, and she doesn't go to any church. This was years ago, she doesn't go to any church, but she said she has a faith. So we talked about that, and I said, well, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't call us to a church or a denomination or a religion or an organization. He called us to himself. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20 says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, Straight forth, his disciples left their nets, and they followed him. He calls us to follow him, to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I explained to her as best as I could that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we put our faith in him and we trust in him as our Lord and Savior. He becomes the Lord of our life and the Savior. He saves us from our sin. And we start following him. And so we had quite an interesting conversation. I remember just closing my Bible and saying, well, I'll just put this off till later. This morning, I kind of want to talk about that whole area of discipleship, and the Lord brings it up. And in Luke chapter 9, I'm, I'm going to ask you not only to look at this passage, but I'd like you, if you could, turn to Matthew chapter 16. It's the same account, but there's a, a little bit more uh, information in chapter 16 of Matthew, and I'll read that portion as well. So keep a finger there in Matthew chapter 16, Luke chapter 9, verse 18, we'll read from 18 to 27. And it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, the one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he warned them, instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits, forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Keep your finger there and let's go back to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, the same story but a little bit more information. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, that's the first uh, added bit of information, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah. That's another piece of information that we can add. Or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So more information added. And I, say to you also, uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ or the Messiah. Back to Luke chapter 9. The Lord Jesus is traveling with his disciples and uh, they are going north. And he goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi from what we can see from uh, chapter, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16. So it says, verse 18 here, it says, And it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, asking who he was. He is in this area called Caesarea Philippi. So where is that? You know, where is Caesarea Philippi? Well, if we looked at a map of of the Middle East and, and of uh, Galilee, the province of Galilee in the Roman Empire, we would see Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, and that was the capital, and that was where Herod was. But if we go 25 miles north, we come to an area called Caesarea Philippi, and that's where the Lord Jesus was. The, Herod the Great had received the whole district from the Emperor Augustus, and he had dedicated a temple to the uh, emperor, but his son, Herod Philip, uh, had enlarged this area to the north, 25, 25 miles to the north, and called it Caesarea Philippi after himself. And it's at the base of what's known today as Mount Hermon. And it was a Canaanite stronghold. A lot of Baal worship went on there. But interesting enough, uh, there was a worship of Greek gods as well. Uh, the Greeks called it uh, Paneus, and they had their god Pana, uh, or Pan rather, that was uh, worshiped there. My wife and I had the privilege of being in Israel about two and a half years ago, and we actually visited this place, uh, Caesarea Philippi, and we saw this cavern and the, where these gods were and a temple dedicated to them. And it struck me that the Lord Jesus was in this area where a lot of Baal worship went on and a lot of worship of Greek gods. And so why 
did he question his disciples? And I think it was because of the context where he was. He saw the Greek worship, the, Baal, the worship of Baal. And so he says to his disciples in, in verse 18, who do the multitudes say that I am? Because many of them were engaged probably in the worship of these false deities. Well, they answered and said, well, some say, hmm, verse 19, John the Baptist, hmm? and others say Elijah, but others, the one of the prophets of old who has risen again. So there's some different ideas here. But then the Lord Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 20. And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. A very good answer. Christ or Christos is the uh, Greek word for Messiah. And the Lord Jesus is the promised Messiah. The one from the Old Testament that uh, was foretold that would come and give his life uh, for us. And I, I, I must uh, say to you that I really enjoyed our breaking of bread. It, it was refreshing to me just to sit with a group of believers who have the same mindset, same desire, uh, same will to bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus for his person and for his work, what he did on the cross. It, it just amazes me. I've, I've been with different groups all over the world, and I was refreshed just being with you. So, so thank you for participating with me and remembering uh, the Lord Jesus. He is our Messiah. He's the promised one. He came, and he gave his life for us as, as we know and celebrate. Well, they admit who he is. And then he says, 22, something that probably uh, surprised them. He says, um, or verse 21, he warned them, instructed them not to tell this to anyone. Don't tell anybody. But then he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And I'm sure that surprised them as long, along with not being, being told not to tell others. But their leader, the one they were following, the, the Messiah, the promised one, would be killed and then uh, would rise up again. I'm, I'm sure they, they thought that was odd. I, I believe they understood to a degree about that the Messiah would be put to death, but it, it didn't click all the time. And then he says to them, this is going to happen. He's going to be killed and raised up on the third day. I'm sure, well, are you sure about this? Is this really going to happen? Then he says in verse 23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That must have surprised them too. But that is true discipleship. And it doesn't matter what culture we are, what language group we belong to, where we live, what type of people we are, what occupation we have. He calls us 
to discipleship to follow him. And I want to go through this verse and then examine it and what it, what it entails and what it means uh, for what the Lord Jesus has for our lives. He, he says, firstly, if anyone will come after me, if anybody is a follower of me, if anyone chooses to put their trust in me and become my disciple, the first thing he should do or she should do is deny himself or herself. What does that mean? Let's kind of think it out. It's not self-denial. It's denial of self. Let me explain. Self-denial is perhaps the giving up of certain foods, you know, pleasures or possessions. Um, I'm not going to eat ice cream for a month, you know. I, I've noticed as we kind of get a little older, we have to be careful with what we eat, you know. We kind of just start putting on weight. But I'm going to self-deny. I'm, I'm not going to do this, or I'm, I'm not going to watch television as much as I, as I have been doing, or you can name it, whatever. That's self-denial. But denial of self is different. It means complete submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is boss. If he is Lord, then he's Lord of my life. I think it was William MacDonald that said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It means self-abdicates the throne. It means conforming completely to his will. He is my Lord. I do what he says. There's no questioning. I follow him completely. It's denial of me in control of my life. Now, that, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Um, I, 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 admittedly, I find that hard at times. I mean, I like to run my show, you know. But he says, if you follow me, I'm in control, not you anymore. And you need to deny yourself. So that's the first condition of discipleship. Would we all consider ourselves disciples of the Lord? Would we? Yes. <laughs> you know, this is participatory preaching here. <laughs> yes, we would, wouldn't we? So he becomes Lord of our lives. And we deny ourselves. If any man will come after me, if any woman will come after me, let him deny himself. Secondly, he says, take up his cross daily. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean uh, one's physical infirmity. You know, I got a bad hip or I got a bad shoulder. That's my cross to bear, you know, that kind of thing. It's not one's boss. Man, I got a bad boss, you know, or person in control of my company or whatever. That's my cross to bear. It's not one's mother-in-law or one's father-in-law, as we sometimes hear people say, right? Ah, that's my cross to bear, you know. It's not emotional anguish of any kind. Well, what is bearing your cross? It's uh, deliberately choosing, if I can put it this way, deliberately choosing a pathway. It's deciding to choose a pathway of shame, uh, persecution, abuse. It's choosing a pathway that was similar to the pathway that the Lord Jesus chose. Uh, shame and abuse was abused on him. If a person chooses 
to take up his cross daily, he is prepared to suffer as the Lord Jesus uh, suffered. The cross was a symbol of torture and death. You know, today, many of us, I'm not putting anybody down, don't misunderstand me, you know, but many of us wear cross, crosses, right? You know, we have a, a little necklace or something like that. Um, if we wore a cross back then, people would look aghast at us. It would be like wearing uh, a hangman's noose today or back in the days of the electric chair, you know, an electric chair. Or what do they use today? It's a, I think it's an inoculation or an injection, lethal injection, is that what it's called, I think? Would be sort of wearing, you know, that around your neck. People kind of, why are you wearing a needle, you know, lethal injection needle? Or why are you wearing a hangman's noose? That, that's, that's weird, you know, that's, that's execution. Well, back then, of course, the cross was the choice of the Roman Empire. Uh, their signature way of putting people to death. It was a torturous way, and we probably have heard many things about uh, how the cross, what, what happened at the cross. They, a, a person suffered. They, there was always a beating uh, prior to being put to death by the cross. Uh, the way it was designed, the person could live for sometimes up to three, even to nine days on the cross, suffering, would eventually die. It was humiliating. The person was naked on the cross. His crimes or her crimes were placed at the bottom, what, what they did. It was the Roman Empire's way of controlling their empire and putting people to death who opposed them. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ said to us, we need to take up our cross daily. So we need to be prepared to suffer for him. Now, that doesn't sound nice, does it? You know, you, you probably say, you... Why did you come here and talk to us about this? <laughs> but it's true, we need to be prepared to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I must admit, in the United States of America, I don't really suffer very much. You know, I, maybe some of my neighbors, I, I try and talk to them about the Lord Jesus, or some, they might look at me funny or say, I don't want to hear that, you know. Um, in fact, I have a neighbor, his wife is quite ill, and she's been put in a nursing home, and he's by himself. And uh, his name is Don, and just last week I went to him and we talked, and then I said, Don, you need, to, you need to get right with God. And he literally just backed up and looked at me like that. Well, that's all the suffering I have to put up with? That's not bad. But other people suffer to a far greater degree. How many of us have heard of Voice of the Martyrs, that organization? Okay, and I think it's right here in California. It was started by Richard Wormbrandt, wasn't it? I'm not sure where in California. But this is, uh, this is August 2018. I just wanted to read an excerpt from it. Um, it deals with the country of Eritrea, which is also in Africa. It's adjacent to Ethiopia. Many of us have probably heard of Ethiopia. But Eritrea is, uh, has a, a dictatorship that is anti-Christian or against Christianity. And I wanted to read a little bit of one man's suffering and what he mentions about the cross. Uh, and it's entitled, Our Forky, and then Forgiving His Wife's Killers. And let, let me just share this with you. Aforki Nagasi is well aware that believers still die in Eritrean prisons. He is reminded of it every day as he raises his four children alone. Aforki's wife, 
Fakadu and their 17-year-old son were arrested on May 14, 2017, in the middle of the night after being accused of attending a nighttime prayer meeting. Two months later, Afurki was also arrested. Prison conditions were poor. There was little food, only muddy river water to drink, and no relief from searing temperatures. In addition, prisoners were beaten regularly. All the women were ill, especially my wife, Afurki recalled. She didn't eat or drink for a week. No medical treatment was provided in the camp. And on August 8, 2017, Faktu collapsed. They took her from the camp in an ambulance, and Afurki never saw her again. He learned of her death three months later when he was released. About 3,000 Christians were in prison at the height of the government crackdown, but that number had declined to around 170 believers by 2016. Last year, however, there was another wave of arrests in which government authorities detained entire gatherings of Christians at once, including children and even infants. An estimated 300 to 400 Christians were arrested in 2017. Upon his release from prison, Afurki determined to follow his wife's example. At home, I cried and cried, he said. But I am happy that my wife was a hero Christian, that she died for Christ. Authorities warned him not to attend prayer meetings, and although he agreed, he knew he could never obey. I will not stop praying, he said. I will tell the Lord, uh, tell that the Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. Realizing there was a strong chance he would be arrested again, Afurki decided to leave the country. To reach Ethiopia, he and his children had to make it past two groups of Eritrean guards. If caught, he knew his older children would be forced into the military and the younger ones taken to a prison camp. In addition, they risked stepping on landmines or being attacked by hyenas in the desert. They traveled by night, walking for four days with nothing to eat. On the third day, they slept in a cave. My children were crying, and we were praying without end, he said. Miraculously, the family of five crossed safely into Ethiopia, where they now live in a refugee camp, like so many other Eritrean Christians. At least in the camp, the children are able to sing in the church choir without fear. Then he says this, and I'm quoting him. He says, the Bible taught us that we should take up our cross. Interesting, isn't it? The Bible taught us that we should take up our cross, Alferki said, close quote. We have to lose our life for Christ, and it happened to my wife, second quote. This is the history of Christianity. It is not strange. It is not something new. Afurki does not know what the future holds for his family, but he trusts that the Lord will care for him and his children. He asks us to pray for Eritrea, and especially for suffering Eritrean Christians. He also encourages us to pray for the Eritrean government rather than curse it for its hatred of Christians. I don't hate them because they tortured my wife, he said. They didn't know what they were doing. I would like all Christians in the world to pray that our government will accept the gospel. I don't know if I could have said that. You know, if somebody, a government had done that to my wife. 
The Bible taught us that we should take up our cross. I'm not trying to be political, but our country is becoming more and more liberal, isn't it? Especially, and if I can say this, uh, not in a condemning way, but this particular area of our country. And I think we have to be concerned, but at the same time, if we're persecuted as believers, we have to be prepared to take up our cross on a daily basis. It costs the Lord Jesus his life for what he did for us. And if we really mean business for God, if we're like these people in Eritrea, we may have to follow suit and do the same thing. We don't know the future, do we? We really don't. We, we like, where I live in Montana, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty rednecky, if you know what I mean, kind of thing. And uh, people do what they want. They're, they, you know, they, for uh, many guys, they, they'll grow a beard and got their gun and their dog and their pickup and their gun in the back. And uh, <laughs> you know, they say, well, just leave me alone. But we don't know the future. We may have to take up our cross in our service for the Lord Jesus. Once again, the Lord Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him, one, deny himself, follow him as Lord, uh, take up his cross daily, and then follow me. And as I was mentioning, he always says to follow him. And again, I want to emphasize that he doesn't say, and I said that to the lady in the plane yesterday, he never says to join an organization or follow a certain denomination. It's simply following the Lord Jesus. And that's what I appreciate about the assemblies. Uh, that's what we do. We follow the Lord Jesus. Where we live, our particular assembly, we, we actually don't call it a brethren assembly. We call it uh, a, uh, an evangelical church or a Bible church. We try and downplay any kind of denomination uh, in our area because we're following the Lord Jesus and not a denomination of any kind. That's what he wants from us, to follow him, to take up our, uh, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. We become, as the Portuguese say, seguidores de Jesus Cristo, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we need to do. Then he goes on, and he says some other things to his disciples. We could call them warnings or admonishments or encouragements. Verse 24, he says, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Well, what does that mean? Why did he say that to his disciples? Remember the context. He's in Caesarea Philippi where there's worship, the Baal worship had been, and also worship of Greek. Uh, Greek god, Panas, or Panna. Well, he's saying not to live for the present. That's my understanding. We don't live for comfort or luxury or ease. Uh, he's saying not to be tied into the world. Um, he says, don't forget what our purpose is here. And I, I understand. I'm part of the North American culture, too. You know, we, we, we strive to, to save money, to buy things, to, to build up. You know, we're part of all that. But we're not to be attached to it. We're not to live for these things, are we? Why are we here? We're really to bring glory to God. That's our purpose, isn't it? That, that's what he wants from us. 
He wants us to follow him bring, and, and, and bring him honor and glory. Uh, then he says, verse 25, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or loses his own soul, as it says in the King James? Well, my understanding is that we're not to, uh, not to engage in materialism. What good is it to, is it to stockpile the things of this world and then leave them all behind? Wasn't it Malcolm Forbes that said, uh, he who has the most toys in the end wins? Remember that on license plates and so on? Well, Malcolm Forbes died uh, at the age of 71. He had amassed a, a fortune, and he just lived for the things of this world. But guess what? He left everything behind, didn't he? And I'm not trying to, that's not my purpose is not to mock him, but just to show an example of somebody who said, you know, this life is all about accruing things and having fun. What the bumper sticker should say is, he who uh, has the most toys in the, in the end leaves them all behind. Right? And it's not worth it. We're not, we're not here to just gather the things of the world. And then verse 26, he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me, the Lord Jesus, and my words of him or her, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Ooh. And... Then he goes on, he says, when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of, and of the holy angels. Well, the third thing he's saying then is not to be ashamed of him. Never be ashamed of be, being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know sometimes we're hesitant. I'm included. You know, we don't. Well, we, what, what's that person going to think of me if, if I, they know I'm a Christian? I'm one of those, you know, people, kind of weirdos, you know, that um, goes to church on Sunday and prays and doesn't smoke or drink or, as we say in Montana, doesn't chew or go with girls that do, you know. <laughs> I just don't do those things. What are they going to think of me? I don't want him to say, when I meet him, I'm ashamed of you. Do you want him to be ashamed of you? Do you want him to say that to you? Do you? Yes or no? No, and, and the same with me. I'm not, I'm, please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to scold you. I'm just trying to encourage you. We want to serve him well so that he will say, well done, faithful servant, come in and not be ashamed of us for our life here. So in this life, just because I work with a church and a, a full-time worker in, in the state of Montana and overseas, it's no different. It's easy to just hide and not say anything to anybody, you know, and pretend I'm just fitting in with the crowd, you know. But no, I need to encourage people to follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, about two and a half years ago, just, it, it doesn't take much, and you can do the same thing. Let me just share with you what happened on my street. I live in a rural area. Uh, it's in a valley called the Bitterroot Valley between two mountain ranges, the Bitterroots and the Sapphires. And it's an ideal place. It's, it's, just, 
it, it, it's very nice uh, as far as scenery is concerned. I live on a street. We, live, we have five acres, live on that, and then my street. So it's a very rural area. I have a neighbor, and uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, he shot himself. He tried to kill himself with a 12-gauge shotgun. Shot himself in the head. I, I was on the phone uh, talking with somebody who normally I go to their house to have a Bible study, and uh, uh, well, it was actually somebody else, but I was, uh, people were coming over from that Bible study, and I was talking to this man, and all of a sudden I saw all this stuff going on, ambulances and rescue people and a helicopter and things. So I said, I gotta go, something's happening in my neighbor. I went over, talked, prayed with the family, and then started visiting this, this man because he survived, and befriended him, and I said, you know, God loves you. He didn't want you to die. And he, at that time, all he could do was write. He couldn't say anything because of the injuries. And he said, yes, I know. This man had been a bartender all of his life. Well, to make a long story short, I started visiting him. And uh, I, I said, you know, I think the Lord wants us to start a Bible study in our street. So I invited him to come. Then there was another man, another neighbor, who got cancer. His wife told me, oh, my husband has cancer. So I said, you know, I will pray for him. And she said, oh, that would be wonderful. I mean, what is she going to say? No, don't pray for him. <laughs> you know. So I started praying and uh, started visiting him. And then I said to him, would you mind if I prayed with you? And he said, yes, that would be fine. So he comes. And then some other people. We have now seven. In fact, we invited somebody la uh, last week to come, an another person. So we have this Bible study on our street. And it really didn't take much to start it. All it took was an interest in our neighbors. And so I would encourage each of you to do that, you know, to, to try and reach out to others and encourage them to follow the Lord Jesus. I know, I know it's easy to say, I, I, that's not me. You know, I, I'm not, I haven't got the right words. You know what I mean? I, I can't say things properly. I, they don't, what do they think of me? But you'd be surprised at what's going on, and you probably know more about things like this than I do, of what's going on in people's lives. He doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. He wants us to reach out to others. So these three warnings go along with that verse on discipleship. He says, don't live for the present. He says, don't engage in materialism. Don't try and just save up for the future or build your house up uh, just for the sake of doing that. And then don't be ashamed of him. He says, finally, as, as, I, as I read verse 26, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Hmm. John chapter 2, verse 11 says, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. We're following our Lord Jesus, the one who gave up his positional glory in heaven to come to the earth, although he can, still had his personal glory while on the earth. But one day we will go and be with him and see his glory as he is, won't we? and we will enjoy our Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. With that in mind, we just want to stay close to him, don't we? And follow him and bring glory to his name. 
one day he's either going to come and take us or we're going to go to be with him. In closing, I just maybe think of a, I'm thinking of an illustration uh, that might bring it home for us. Where I live in Montana, I also, uh, with serving our assembly, with Bible studies and, and that kind of thing, preaching, I also have a part-time job, and it takes maybe one to two days a week. And I have the privilege of working on a large estate. It's uh, about 160 acres. It has a large log home, 7,500 square feet with the garage complex. And it's owned by three families that live in the Bay Area. And they only come out uh, for one month each a year. And then maybe a little bit at Thanksgiving. So a little over three months they're there. Most of the time they're not there. And my job is to take care of it, fix fences or, or, or do, fill in the checks on the logs, put more stain on, take care of any issues. And it's really a, a very enjoyable job for somebody like me because I, I see deer, I see ducks, there are eagles. It's a paradise. And there's a, a stream that runs through it with a, it's a, what they call a blue ribbon fishing stream. So sometimes I have put my rod in there, you know, just try it out, which they give me permission. But every now and again, they say, I get an email that says, I'm coming in three days or four days. Can you have everything ready? So do I sit at home in front of my wood fire and just say, oh, I'll hope it works out for them? What do I do? I go there and I make sure everything's ready because the owner is coming, right? I don't want, one of them is, uh, he says he's allergic to dust. So you get somebody like that, you have to have everything prepared and ready. So I make sure that the house and the property is all set for them to come. This latest group is coming at Thanksgiving. They want the skeet shooter set up. They want ping pong table. They want the four wheelers all in order, you know, cars at the airport, all that kind of stuff. So I make sure everything's ready. And I think to myself, you know, I spend, I, I, to great effort I do that. Should I not be ready for the Lord Jesus as well? Should not each of us be ready for his coming? Should we not prepare? Or do we go, ho-hum, you know, um, I guess he's coming, but, you know, I kind of want to do my thing. I, I'm just relaxed. I, I don't want to get too concerned over it. I think we, we need to be ready for him as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Please come tonight at 6.30, and I'll, I'll show you what's going on in Angola and, in, and uh, just what, what it's like to be a believer there as well. But in closing, let's pray and... Uh, Thank the Lord for these words on discipleship, these verses. And I'd like to pray that the Lord encourages us and helps us to be good disciples of him. And that he won't be ashamed of us. Let's pray. Lord, we're a group of believers here in uh, Claremont. California, uh, but whoever we are or wherever we are, if we call on the name of Jesus, we become his disciples. 
we become his followers. And Lord, help us to understand what that means to follow him as Lord of our lives, as well as Savior. Help us to be the disciples that he wants us to be. Help us to be prepared for when we go to be with him. Unless he comes to rapture us or we die on this earth before that and come into his presence. Lord, we do not want to hear the words that of being ashamed of us, but we want to hear the words of well done, faithful servant. We want to serve him well. We want to bring him the honor and the glory that he deserves. Help us, Lord, to, to be true disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to take care of the things of this world which have to be taken care of, but help us to continue to look into eternity and remember the real purpose of our life here is to bring you glory. We ask these things in the wonderful and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.